All right, Alexander, let's talk about the war in, uh, in the Middle East, in Israel and Gaza. And uh, I think we have two, two things that we could focus in on. I mean, there's a lot to, to discuss, but let's, focus, let's try to focus in on two things. Uh, the first one is um, Israel's um, notification to the United Nations that uh, the UN, as well as uh, people living in the north, the north part of Gaza, need to evacuate to the south of uh, Gaza. We're talking about 1 million to 1.1 million people in 24 hours. This is a statement that the UN put out as they were notified by Israel. And then we can talk about, well, there's the professionals who want peace, professional diplomats who are working towards peace, and you'll reveal who those professional diplomats are. And then we have a whole cascade of, of EU officials, U.S. officials, foreign ministers from, from the collective West. I'm thinking Baerbach and I'm thinking Ursula von der Leyen and all these people who are not professional diplomats and who are not traveling to Israel in order to find an off-ramp to this conflict. That's my opinion. But uh, we are seeing two two different uh, approaches to what's happening right now in this uh, horrific war. There are, there are a group of countries and, and people who are actively working to, uh, to get a peace. And then I think there are people who, who seem to be repeating what we saw in, uh, in Kiev, say, a year and a half ago. Anyway, um, let's, let's begin. Well, this is exactly correct, but I think we first should start, first of all, with the uh, uh, really very, very worrying news from the conflict zone, which is, of course, we've now had this demand from Israel to the UN. Now, the UN said that Israel gave this 24-hour timeline, which is impossible, and the UN has said so. I mean, it is impossible to evacuate 1.1 million people in 24 hours. I mean... I mean, th there are some situations, perhaps, where you could move that number of people in that length of time, but you can't do it in this situation. I mean, how is it supposed to be done? I mean, um, there aren't the vehicles, there aren't the machine, the, you know, the cars, the trucks, the uh, coaches to move them in that space of time. And, of course, where, where would you put them? I mean, you know, setting up tent cities, providing food providing water for a million people, displaced people. I mean, it, it, it's just inconceivable. Now, over the last few minutes, just before we started doing this programme, the Israelis appear to have backtracked a little on this. They said that they haven't actually asked that it should be done within 24 hours. Though, of course, the UN said that they had, and I don't see why the UN would have made that up. So I think that that was what the what the UN people must have meant by it. But, I mean, what the UN people said must have been true. But anyway, the Israelis, clearly, they've been told this is impossible. People around the world, presumably, even, you know, the Americans are probably telling them that this is impossible. You've got to back off. And they have backed off to some extent. But they are still demanding that these people should leave. Of course, Hamas which is present on the ground, is telling people that they must stay. And I think that they will stay, quite apart from anything else. I mean, the fact that Hamas is there 
and is in a position to insist that they stay. I think that's going to be decisive because, you know, they're the people who are there. But secondly, and this is a, must be a very, very widespread sentiment amongst people in Gaza, given the history, they must worry that if they leave their homes and Israel occupies them, then they will never go back. I mean, that's been the story of the Palestinians ever since the 1948 war. And that is something that is burnt into the memories, into the minds of every Palestinian. And I can't imagine that they will willingly leave their homes and allow another part of Palestine, as they would see it, to be lost permanently in that way. So I think that they will stay. I think that at some level, even the Israelis must understand that. And I wonder, again, whether this isn't perhaps an attempt to you know, prepare for a ground invasion of this territory and to give Israel some kind of alibi, if you like. If many civilians are killed, they'll say, well, we did ask these people to leave, which is true. But I can't imagine that the Israelis seriously believe that this is going to happen. And note that it's not to leave Gaza entirely. The Egyptians have apparently completely ruled that out. It's to leave one part of Gaza and evacuate to another part of Gaza. And I don't think that even that is going to happen. Okay, so um, let's talk about uh, the diplomacy part of all of this then. Um, how about uh, the trips by Austin, Ursula, Blinken, uh, Foreign Minister of Germany, Annalena Baerbach, Foreign Minister of Canada, Foreign Minister of Italy, they're all uh, piling into to, uh, to Tel Aviv and to Israel to, to give support to, yes. uh, to Israel. And then on the other side, you have BRICS. Yes. Yes. I mean, this is, there's a fundamental difference, and you're absolutely correct in putting your finger on it. I mean, we're on the brink now of a major Israeli operation. I, I mean, you know, it could be a ground operation. It could be a bombing war. It could be something like that. And there's been some reports that the United States has told Israel to, you know, slow down, think about what they're going to do, be careful. And it could be that that was where the, you know, this demand that people leave northern Gaza came from, that it was basically an attempt to, to respond to that request from the United States. But overall, what we're seeing is all of these people, they're going to Israel, they're giving what seems to be unqualified support, there's no real sign that they're engaging anymore in any real attempts to you know, look for a longer term sustainable solution to this, an attempt that will both secure Israel, protect Israel, and at the same time, avoid what is now clearly developing into a humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza, which could have colossal repercussions across the Middle East. None of these people seem to have that level of imagination, that degree of political skill, that diplomatic understanding. And if we look at what the US government has been doing, well, we've had multiple conversations between Biden and Netanyahu. We've had Blinken, of course, going to Israel. We've had Lloyd Austin going to Israel. 
So far as I could see, as of yesterday, there's only been one contact between the highest officials of the administration, that, which is to say um, Blinken, Sullivan and Biden himself, and the Arab states, which was a single call between the president of the United States and the president of the UAE. So all of these people piling in, giving support, doing exactly what you said with Ukraine. No real attempt to think of, to think a way through this problem. Reflexive action, give weapons, give support, make threats, put pressure. And of course, now we see a completely different approach, which is now happening amongst the BRICS states. And bear in mind, I say the BRICS states, BRICS has now massively expanded. So all of the major players that we're talking about are, uh, are now members of BRICS. So we've had a conversation between the president of Iran, President Braizi, and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. We've had um, the Iranian foreign minister has been working extremely hard, uh, talking to multiple um, foreign ministers, to those of Egypt, those of the UAE, those of Kuwait, those of Iraq. The Russians, of course, have also been busy. We've had um, conversations between Putin and the prime minister of Iraq, who was um, by chance in Russia, and they had a big meeting there, and there was a news conference. The foreign minister of Russia, who's of course Lavrov, he's been talking to the Iranian foreign minister, he's been talking to the Egyptian foreign minister. Um, the Saudis and the Russians have been talking on the margins of a big energy conference that has been underway in Moscow. There is intense diplomatic activity, and Putin has been making all sorts of comments. He's been saying this is the, the cause of the problem is that we have never set up the Palestinian state. The United States has monopolized diplomacy in this region since the mid-1970s. He didn't give that date, but that's really when it started, that the Americans have never really come up with a coherent approach to this problem, that uh, they haven't really considered Palestinian concerns, they've never really addressed Israel's actual true security interests. And what Putin is clearly hinting at is that the BRICS states and every one of these states now, apart from Egypt, which is not, sorry, apart from Iraq, which is not yet in the BRICS, but Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, they're all members of the BRICS. I forgot to mention that Erdogan and Putin have also spoken. So all of these people are speaking. What I predict is going to happen, what I'm sure is going to happen, is that they're going to come up at some point with a peace initiative um, looking for a ceasefire. Putin says there must be an immediate ceasefire by both sides. Civilians must not be targeted by both sides. Now, that is... A statement directed at Hamas, obviously, because they deliberately targeted civilians and killed them in the most gruesome, gruesome way. But it is also a statement directed at Israel. You know, bombing Gaza is not going to be the solution to this. So there's going to be a demand for an unconditional ceasefire. And then there's going to be a demand for negotiations. And the objective must be to establish a uh, Palestinian state eventually with Jerusalem as its capital, East Jerusalem as its capital, 
the Russians have said that if that happens, they will recognize that Israel's capital is also Jerusalem. They said that in the past. But anyway, that is what they want to see happen. And I, I predict that before long, we're going to see a major BRICS initiative to that effect. And uh, one, the most empower, powerful BRICS state of all, China, is apparently staying outside all of this. We've had no indications that they've been involved in any of these discussions. But, of course, the reality is they must be. It is inconceivable that the Russians and the Chinese aren't speaking to each other about this matter. I'm sure the Iranians are also speaking to the Russians. I'm sure the Saudis, sorry, the Chinese, I'm sure the Saudis are speaking to the Chinese as well. But the Chinese media is also clear that this is the result of failure of U.S. policy in the region. So they're now starting to echo Russian talking points. And, of course, just this morning, a few minutes ago, in fact, Maria Zaharova, the Russian foreign ministry spokesman, said that the job now of the other states, the, the, you know, the real community of states outside the West, is to clean up the mess created in the Middle East by the United States. I mean, she's made it explicit. So this is the difference. The Western powers piling into Israel, not coming up with proposals, not really having much dialogue with the Arab countries, the uh, BRIC states working on what is clearly an attempt at some kind of big diplomatic initiative. And I expect to see that um, start to develop. Maybe not immediately, but at some point within the next few weeks. Um, and, and, well, we'll see what the response to it is when it happens then. Yeah. The, the phone call, the one phone call that took place between Biden and uh, the Biden White House in Qatar, I don't even think that had, to, that had anything to do with, uh, with some type of off-ramp or, no. or, or any type of negotiation. I think that was completely about, um, completely focused on the $6 billion in funds in, in Qatar. That's what yeah. I think that phone call was yeah, about. Absolutely. So they, they, they yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. think they even yeah. discussed no. trying to find an offer, and it was no. all about money. No. How can no. we freeze that six billion so it doesn't get well, to Iran is. and well, eventually it, it makes our way, it makes its way back to, to I us. Know. I mean, I know. It, it's nothing. I mean, it, it, and you know, they, Biden ought to be on the phone at this moment to the president of Egypt. He ought to be talking to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He ought to be talking to the real how? leaders of the Arab world. Or, well, exactly how. He's not capable of doing it. And we all know that. And we have that problem also. I mean, you know, that is the problem exactly also. Right. Once upon a time, back in the 1970s, which the Russians say was the bad time of American diplomacy. But I can remember in those days, Henry Kissinger doing his shuttles. He was going from Israel to Egypt, from Egypt to Saudi Arabia, flying back to Israel. He was constantly working the phones. He was doing all of these things. Today, the United States does none of that. Eventually, no doubt, we will get some kind of feeble contacts. But nobody any longer believes there's anything convincing about any of that. And the European Union is just nowhere to be seen. And Josep Borrell and uh, Ursula von der Leyen and all those awful people and, sorry to say that, and Baerbock and all that lot. I mean, they are absolutely useless in this affair. I mean, it's laughable to even yeah. 
consider that someone like Annalena Baerbach is able to contribute anything to to finding some sort of peace in in, in this uh, war. I mean, it's, it's just a laughable proposition. But you Absolutely. know, they they go there because this is some sort of. I don't know. I can't think of the word, but it feels like it's some sort of virtue signal in a way. You know, yes. I have to go there. I have to show my support. But they're not going there to to help, to be constructive. It's just more for for, for the show of it. Um, so that's not the, the, and they're going to escalate because they're going to say stupid stuff. Yes. That's the problem. They come out and they say dumb things and, and it escalates the situation. That's exactly correct. I mean, you know, you you can say strong words about Hamas. And perhaps you should. But the function of foreign ministers is to try to seek solutions. And they're not coming up with any. I mean, that is the fundamental problem. I mean, you know, they're not really uh, working towards a solution that is an optimal one. They're just sitting back, cheering on events that they don't, I get the sense, truly understand. And even as the whole situation there is now in danger of spiraling out, spiraling out of control. A, a prolonged bombing war against Gaza is going to have major consequences across the Middle East. It's it, unavoidably it will. And that is something which, as a diplomat, as a foreign minister, you need to think and be concerned about. But there's no, un, there's no sense that they really do understand it and that they really do understand how this is perceived, not just in the Middle East, by the way, but across the Islamic world and the global south also. So what happens uh, if and when, and I agree with you, I think the BRICS, it's clear that the BRICS are going to come up with some solution. To be honest, uh, I think they are the ones that can provide a solution. I mean, you know, if you have one party in a dispute that has been trying allegedly has been trying to find a solution to this to this Gordian knot that we have here in, in, in Israel, and they haven't been able to untie this knot. That's the United States, and they've been trying 10, 20, 50 years. They haven't been able to do it logically. One would say, you know what? Maybe it's time to, to, to get some fresh eyes on this, to get a fresh perspective, uh, to figure this out. But you, you do have a solution, which is the UN resolutions. I mean, there is a framework in place. It's there. Yes, we, someone just has to has to take the ball and and run with it because it looks like the the United States is just not capable of doing it. That's pretty much what Putin uh, was saying. But what happens if you have this this BRICS plan, but at the same time this peace plan, but at the same time you have this massive bombing campaign or ground operation yeah. or both taking place in Gaza? I mean, it it. it it degrades the the actual plan. I mean, it takes away from the plan, doesn't it? Absolutely. This is now. This is. The, I mean, you put your finger on the absolutely key point because, of course, they will come up with a plan. I've, that I'm absolutely sure. I mean, it will come probably piecemeal, but I mean, they will be working on something over the next few weeks. But it's not going to stop this military operation. I mean, that is now, you know, inevitable. That there's no way that uh, Putin can call Netanyahu or anyone else in Israel now and persuade him or the Israelis to stop. And why would the Israelis want to stop at the moment, given that, as I said, they have this chorus of, I think, by the way, now I say this carefully, advisedly, false friends 
encouraging them on. I say false friends because, in my opinion, what is going to happen is not in Israel's interests. That's my view. Anyway, but he's not going to stop at this point. What I think is going to happen is one of two things. Either there will be an Israeli operation in Gaza, and it is completely successful, in which case whatever BRICS plan we have will go fall by the wayside because the Israelis won't be interested in it, and the Israelis will have advanced their objectives, and they will have had the support of the West, and that will be one outcome. Or, and I have to say this, I think a far more plausible outcome. Israel gets bogged down in a prolonged uh, military campaign. Eventually, uh, global opinion starts to shift. Um, Pressure starts to grow. Feeling in the um, Muslim world starts to intensify. Economic problems start to intensify in the West because this is inevitably going to have an effect on energy prices over time. And we can also start to see major major splits within opinion, especially in Europe, and even to some extent in the United States. And then eventually, this thing becomes bogged down. And at that moment, when it becomes clear that this isn't working, that is the moment when the BRIC states will move hard, And what I predict they will do at that point is that they will take their plan to the UN Security Council and they will dare the United States to veto it. And if the United States vetoes it, then they will take it to the General Assembly. (laughs) And, uh, um, you know, that that will then start the ball rolling and we'll start to see um, world opinions start to line up and it will begin to become clear that the BRICS stand for most of the global community and that the the West, the United States, is isolated in this issue. Now, I think, and this is actually an important point that Putin made, he said, people in Israel, there are people within the Israeli government who have a better understanding of this than some people in in Washington do. You have to decode a little bit of what... Putin said, but he said, I've talked with the Israelis many times over many years. I've explained the position to them. I've heard from the Israelis. There are, there's more sophisticated understanding of this problem in Israel than there is in Washington or London and, of course, definitely in Brussels. And it may be that when that happens, it will be the Israelis themselves with a very, very um, complex, diverse political landscape in Israel, who will start to see that going down this route might be the best way forward. But of course, the risk is putting all that possibility aside, except it's only a possibility, is that the United States will find itself isolated and marginalized on what is, for most people around the world, amongst Muslim people who are, you know, what, two billion of them? (laughs) Um, for most people around the global south, it's the single most important issue politically, geopolitically, in the world today. So that is how I think this thing could play out. Yeah, it would be a major diplomatic defeat for the United States. If yes. That's how, how it yes. plays out. Yeah. Yes. Um, what, one final question. What what do you think about uh, Biden and Netanyahu? They hate each other. Yes. 
how is that playing playing into this? No, no one's really discussed this. I discussed this a little bit in my video. I just kind of thought about it as I was walking around. I said, you know, how, how does the relationship, the animosity between Biden and Netanyahu play into this? Netanyahu does not like Biden. That's not a secret. <laughs> and Biden despises Netanyahu. That's not a secret. Uh, what's your take? It's going to enormously complicated decision making and it's going to increase eventually moves by the United States to get Netanyahu out of the prime minister's position. Um, that is my own personal view. This is where this is coming. Um, there's already been articles appearing in the British media saying that Netanyahu must go. And I think that we're going to see more and more of this, um, not immediately, but over the next few uh, months. Um, if this crisis becomes prolonged and deepens. Because make no mistake, if there is a prolonged crisis in the Middle East, it'll suck all the oxygen out of everything else. I mean, you know, geopolitically speaking. I mean, you know, Ukraine, who cares about that anymore? <laughs> but the administration, and this is where I think people need to understand this, the administration, the Biden White House, is even less likely to survive a debacle in the Middle East over this issue than it is to survive a debacle in Ukraine. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a very, very dangerous thing for them. And if they start to sense that Netanyahu is standing in the way of whatever it is that they're coming up with um, over this crisis, um, they will work with their friends in Israel, of whom they have many, to try to leverage uh, Netanyahu out. And he will fight back, and he's got plenty of backing in Israel. And we will see, on top of all the other problems, a real clash between um, the White House and Netanyahu's government in Jerusalem. All right, uh, we will uh, leave it there. Is there anything else that you would like to add to this video? Should we wrap it up? Well, I, you know, the, the, the thing is, I mean, we mustn't overlook the appalling horror and tragedy of all of this, which is going to get worse. I mean, there's going to be some kind of big Israeli military operation in Gaza. I happen to think that the way it's being prepared is a mistake. But I do understand the politics of this within Israel itself. The people who ought to be coming to Israel and giving advice and saying, look, think before you act. What you might do might not be in your best interests. Um, ought to be the Americans and the Europeans, and they're cheerleading this. And when and if this all goes horribly wrong, I'm sorry to say it again, but, you know, Netanyahu, you can blame him all you like, but the responsibility of the, Net, of the, of the uh, Blinkens and the Austins and the Baerbocks and the Ursulas will be greater still, because they're about the only people who could stop this train, and there is no sign that they're trying. Yeah, it just reminds me of Ukraine and Boris Johnson's oh. trips to Kiev. It's just these are the wrong people that you want to have on the ground in Israel at the moment. Baerbach and Ursula and Blinken. These people should be far away. They shouldn't be anywhere close yes. to, uh, to what's happening right now because they're just not going to find. They're, they're going to make matters worse with their rhetoric.
Absolutely. I mean, you, yeah, you, you got to get work, professionals in there. Well, work, work is words are easy. You can go to Jerusalem. You can say all kinds of things. You can talk about as long as it takes. Remember that. Remember that. Where has that led? You can talk in that kind of way, but. If you're a foreign minister and a diplomat, your responsibility goes far beyond that, that point. I mean, rhetoric, which stands in the way of constructive, intelligent responses to problems, is, is an obstacle. It's not a way to a solution. And unfortunately, as you said, all of these people just don't understand that at all. And if you try and explain it to them, they just become angry with you. And, uh, um, uh, and at that point, you start to see that they become rude and, and all those things. So anyway, cancel that's, you. that's yeah. cancel, <laughs> yeah. try and cancel you. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. But there it is. That's where all we are. Right. That's the world today. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, thedurand.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and on X. And go to the Durand shop. 20% off. Use the code the Durand 20 Take care.